Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the History Hit World Wars podcast. If it's your first time here, we are dedicated to that turbulent period in history between 1914 and 1945. And so if you're passionate about that period of history, then please like follow, subscribe and share to anyone and everyone that you think will listen. You can follow along online on Twitter at HistoryHitWW2 and on Instagram at James Rogers History. Now every now and then in the World Wars we dig back through the back catalogue of Dan Snow's History Hit and we find those episodes that need a bit more attention once again. In this episode we're looking at the life of a navigator during World War II. Now, this is with Arthur Spence, who was a navigator during the Second World War. He completed two tours of operations with 97 Squadron at RAF Woodall Spa and RAF Bourne, and he was awarded the Légion d'Honneur for providing services to the Resistance. Dan met with him at his house, and they discussed life during the war, the hardship of losing good friends, and whether or not he felt guilt about the bombing raids he took part in. You're going to love this one. It is fascinating. It is a lived history that illuminates that period of the Second World War. So enjoy. Uh, name's Arthur Spencer. I started 43 as a sergeant, 131196. I was commissioned in the summer, 145359, and I spent uh, from January 43 till September 43 navigating Lancaster, mainly Lancaster OF, which stood for 97 Squadron, J. Johnny. I crewed up with uh, a young 19-year-old Canadian. I think it would be worth telling you an anecdote about crewing up as well. I had a close friend. We trained together and Boastings had kept us together for quite a while and we finished up at the same OTU. And we'd only been there a couple of days and he said, I've got myself a pilot. And I said, well, you were very quick off the mark because we had four weeks, six weeks, I think, to crew up. And he said, yes. And he found an American who'd gone north of the border and joined the Canadian Air Force. And so I sought out this American pilot, larger than life American, enormous chap. And I said, I hear you've got yourself a navigator. Can you recommend a pilot? And he thought hard for a moment and he said, well, I reckon young Jimmy Munro is one of the best pilots on our course. And at the next opportunity, I sought out Jimmy Munro and 
said, have you got a navigator yet? He said, no. So we crewed up together, and that's probably the reason I'm still here today. Tell, tell me about how close your crew got over the course of your sorties above occupied Europe. Well, very close indeed. We, um, we socialised together so much. When we were at Woodhall Spa, most of the nights we weren't flying, we would go to the local pub, the Legate, and uh, we did everything together, really. Two of the crew, the wireless operator and the engineer, decided they'd had enough at 30 and left the crew, but they were... And just explain to everyone, what does having enough at 30 mean? Well, uh, 30 operations was a tour. And if you were in main force, you did 30, and then you had at least six months, in inverted commas, rest, and then came back and did a second tour, uh, though some people who adapted well to being instructors, no doubt, never came back. Uh, and you did a second tour of 20, so you did 50 altogether. After you'd done two tours, the Air Force said you'd done enough. But there was a slightly different situation in Pathfinder Force. You did 30, and by that time you were in a very experienced crew, of course. And they didn't want to break up an experienced crew. So they, um, kept you t- they gave you three weeks' leave, and to recompense for having only three weeks leave instead of at least a six-month rest. You only did 15 in the second tour, so you did 45 trips altogether. In your experience, of the, of the crews you started with, how many of them survived all of those trips? It's very surprising, but uh, three crews went from the um, heavy bomber conversion unit at Swinderby to 97 Squadron, and all three survived. But for some reason, a little while ago... I totted up how many crews had been lost on the operations I'd been on. And I was amazed it was 795. So I was very lucky to survive, really. Were you aware of how dangerous it was at the time? Well, sometimes losses were quite heavy. There were occasions when the squadron lost two crews and others when they lost quite a few others when they lost one crew. So, uh, yes, I, I was aware that I thought after landing after the 45th operation, I thought, well, the chances of me being alive at the end of the war are far greater now than they were yesterday. As the, um, the last three of the last five trips were all to Berlin, so, uh, which was a bit hairy. <laughs> I'll bet it was. Can you, can you talk me through preparing for one of those trips and, and going on one of those? Let, let's take a Berlin trip, for example. When did you hear about it? How long did you have to prepare yourself? And, and talk me through how the trip unfolded. Well, the day on a bomber squadron didn't start very early because we were flying at night. So uh, about 9.30 in the morning, the crew would report to... Well, the, the captain would go and report. The crew were all available, report to the flight commander. No one would worry if you didn't report till 10 o'clock, but if it got to 10.15 and you hadn't reported in, someone might ask where you were. But uh, And uh, then you went off and uh, did an air test. And either just before the air test or during the air test, a document was published called the Order of Battle, which wasn't particularly interesting because it merely listed the aircraft and listed all the crews taking part with every member of crew listed. But what was interesting always was the petrol load and the bomb load at the bottom because it, this was didn't tell you the target, but it gave you an idea of how far you were going to go. A big petrol load and a small bomb load probably meant Italy or somewhere a long way into Germany. A big bomb load and a small petrol load almost inevitably meant the Ruhr, of course, or possibly one of the French ports. Somewhere in between would have meant 
a target somewhere in between Nuremberg, Munich, Hamburg, something like that. Uh, so you went off and did your air test, about 20 minutes, half an hour. The pilot would throw the aircraft around the sky a bit to make sure all the controls worked. Each member of crew would check their equipment. The gunners would rotate their turrets, though they wouldn't fire their guns. The bomb aimer would check his bomb site and the front turret because he was the front gunner. Uh, the wireless operator would send and receive a short message. I would check my compasses and other instruments and particularly my radar. And after 20 minutes, half an hour, back to uh, base, by the time we got rid of our parachute and harness and so on, it was time for lunch and briefing early in the afternoon, 2, 2.30. And uh, that was when you really heard the target, could be, to be sure of it. Uh, the navigator had to draw up his flight plan based on the winds provided by the Met officer. And, well, in the winter, when night was early, we'd have a quick meal and report back for takeoff, collect parachutes, go to the crew room, put on May West and harness and out to the aircraft and a chat with the ground crew, a pee over the rear wheel of the Lancaster and off we went. All that waiting time, that preparation time, did you have a gnawing anxiety or did you just get used to it and you're just, you're just cracking on? I think you were too busy really to, to be anxious. I mean, obviously you knew that you were taking a risk, but there was war on. <laughs> In the summer, there was a longer waiting period, of course, because you, you didn't take off till perhaps half past eight, nine o'clock. In fact, when we did the long trip through to um, the shuttle service operation, I noticed we didn't take off till 9.40, which uh, British double British summertime, of course. So, But it wasn't healthy to be over the French or the Dutch coast in daylight. So, uh, and, and taking off as a navigator, that must have been a, a fearsome challenge. I always think it's remarkable that, that the navigation alone is quite challenging on these things, let alone dealing with dropping bombs and, and enemy interdiction. Yes, um, I was busy all the time, of course. We used to initially climb to 20,000 feet over base before we set course, the idea being that the Germans wouldn't know which direction you were going until the last minute. If you were climbing on route, you were flying more slowly, so they would get an idea earlier and have more time for preparation. You'd fly out across uh, the North Sea, either crossing the coast... Well, if we're going to Berlin, you might cross it in Holland and go straight across the continent or uh, cross into Denmark somewhere and then fly south to Berlin. It took about three hours to get to Berlin. Would there be chat over the, uh, over the intercom? Oh, yes. Not unnecessary chatter, but, you know, um, one of the gunners might call up. There's an aircraft out on our port quarter. I, don't, I can't identify it, but I'll keep an eye on it. Two or three occasions we were coned, uh, which is a most unpleasant experience, far worse than being chased by a fighter. What, what does coned mean? Coned by searchlights. A master blue searchlight might latch upon you and then a cone of searchlights would pick you out in the sky. And at 20,000 feet, of course, the cone is quite big. It's uh, difficult to get out of. And uh, sometimes you could hear the flak bursting, which meant it was fairly close to you. And sometimes you'd hear shrapnel rattling along the fuselage of the aircraft. But we didn't have that much trouble, but just occasionally. I, I can recall one occasion we had a, when we were quite an experienced crew, two or three occasions, you'd take a novice pilot along with you and 
we were going east somewhere over northern Germany, somewhere south of Bremen, I should think. And Jimmy said to this uh, South African pilot, now watch this. And he stayed straight and level uh, longer than he would normally have done. And then he turned off and uh, almost immediately there were three bursts of flax just where we would have been if we'd have carried straight on. And uh, to have the confidence to do that was uh, quite surprising. And on one occasion, there was a young fighter pilot came to spend his week's leave with the squadron. And he came on three operations with us. That's not my idea of a week's leave. But uh, at the end of the week, we took him back to his, uh, his base, Twinwoods in Bedford somewhere, with a runway of only 800 yards because he was on bow fighters and... Uh, we took him back and uh, it was quite a short run to get a Lancaster off and I think Jimmy got his knuckles wrapped for doing it when we got back to base but you can't do much to a chap who's done 40 operations. <laughs> Is there anywhere where you just dreaded going? Well, uh, Berlin was, I suppose, the most worrying target because you were over-occupied territory for so long, you were over Germany. If you went to the Ruhr, three and a half hours there and back, uh, in and out, very heavily defended, of course, but you weren't there very long, whereas uh, flying to Berlin, you were over-occupied territory a long time. When we went to Peenemunder, uh, we just had the three big raids on, on four big raids on Hamburg. We missed the first one because we were on leave, but we realised, everyone in Bombardment realised after the Hamburg attacks that Butch Harris's next priority would be Berlin. And uh, we got to the middle of August full moon and when the order of battle which i mentioned before was published the the petrol and bomb load looked uh, exactly right for berlin and uh, morale went down a bit you could almost feel it that berlin on a night of a full moon what's he thinking of it'll be a massacre a massacre of bomber command because normally we didn't operate by that time in the full moon but when we got to briefing, we found that we were going to Peenemunder, but it was exactly the same bomb load and fuel load as, as Berlin would have been. As, you, as you're over enemy territory, did, did it help that you were so busy you didn't have much time to think? But do you think the other, the other crew, some of the gunners and things, might have been pretty scary just spending hours traipsing over enemy territory? Well, they were rotating their turrets, looking out for enemy aircraft. They were busy all the time, and, and even on the way back when the rest of us could relax a bit. Uh, we'd get down below 8,000 feet so we could take our oxygen masks off over the North Sea and have some coffee and the uh, wireless operator would get a bit of light music on the radio and so on. But even then, the uh, gunners were instructed to keep rotating their turrets and keeping a lookout. In fact, just after I left the uh, squadron, one of the pilots was shot down somewhere north of Bourne by an intruder. He survived, and most of his crew survived, but I think two of them were killed. And so you kept alert even though when you, when you were back over England. When you were over Germany, what did you fear the most? Enemy fighters or enemy anti-aircraft fire from the ground? Well, fighters were probably more dangerous, but we only had one serious encounter with a fighter in 45 operations, whereas we were being fired at pretty well all the time, of course. Tell me about the encounter with the fighter. Well, there was a sudden scream from the rear gunner, turn the port and dive, and immediately we, the length was more or less over on its back, uh, diving away, and um, both the gunners were firing. You could hear the guns going, the 
plane filled with the smell of cordite and uh, he followed us a little way but he must have lost us and that was it it was all over in a matter of half a minute i know i can remember i my parachute used to be an elastic cord over it uh, against the fuselage i looked around to make sure my few parachute was in the right place but Fortunately, there was no need for it. And uh, I think possibly an inexperienced German fighter because he lost us and didn't come back for a second go. And then when you, when you were in the area in which you wanted to drop the bombs, how did those minutes and seconds work? Well, once the, pilot, once the bomb aimer could see the target, uh, which was normally target indicators, of course, my job was finished. And what are target indicators? They're flares, are they? Uh, they were like rockets that would burst... At, barometrically at 3,000 feet and uh, they'd only burn for about six minutes and hang there so they had to be backed up all the time and once the bomb aimer could see these target indicators bomb aimer could see the uh, target indicators my job was finished I would give the uh, pilot the uh, course out of the target so that uh, he was ready to turn away the bomb aimer left left right right Steady, steady. There's an old joke about bombers, of course. Left, left, right, right. Back a bit, back a bit. But then he would, when he was satisfied, he was that the target was in his bomb sight. He would press the tit, and the bombs would drop one after the other. And then you had to fly absolutely straight and level for 25 seconds until a photograph was taken. A flash went down, and a photograph was taken. That 25 seconds seemed a long time. And uh, once it was once it was over and the photo was taken, you would turn away from the target and take the course home. What was the feeling like in the crew when the, when the bombs went and you completed that twenty five seconds? I always felt very relieved because the you were carrying so much less weight and you could almost feel the plane lift lift as the as the bombs dropped, and uh, you knew that the worst was over. Really, you were on your way home. Though, in fact, I think. More aircraft were lost on their way home than on their way to the target. But uh, it was a nice feeling that uh, at least the bombs couldn't blow up. What was your visibility like? Could you see the bombs impacting on the ground? Could you see other aircraft in the formation? Well, we weren't in formation, of course, like the Lanks were. We were just a loose gaggle. The last trip I did, 300 Lanks went across Berlin in about 20 minutes. So that gives you an idea of, what, about 15 a minute going through the target. The Hamburg raids were about 800 in about 40 minutes, so about 20 a minute going through the target. Over the Ruhr, there was a terrific lot of industrial haze, and I think we did 18 trips to the Ruhr and only saw the ground twice, but you saw these target indicators bursting, hopefully, over the target. When we went to, um, on this shuttle service trip to Friedrichshafen, you could actually see the first green TI right over the um, Zeppelin factory and... uh, there, you could really see what was going on. And, and how about other aircraft, though? Did you, would you, could you, did you ever see them shot down? Would, would oh, that yes. be? Oh yes, you you often see, saw other aircraft shot down. One I remember particularly on the Peenemünde raid. We were uh, we crossed the North Sea uh, about an hour and ten minutes, and as we were approaching the coast of Denmark, there was a lot of activity over on our starboard, and uh, searchlights and so on, and firing started. And then an aircraft was obviously coned. And what kind of aircraft? Well, you could. It was a four-engine bomber. We wouldn't know. It was some distance from us. I found out after it was, it was a Halifax, but it blew up and burning bits fell down into the sea. 
Uh, and obviously one felt sorry for these chaps, but I'm afraid my first thought was, what a rotten bit of navigation, because if he's someone in front of us, he's almost certainly another Pathfinder crew, and he was, and we're supposed to be experts in navigation. And there he was, 20 miles south of track over a heavily defended area when he needn't be over a defended area at all. I mean, obviously, if you went to the Ruhr, you had the target was defended, you had to go through defences. But to go through a heavily defended area unnecessarily, well, he wasn't doing his job properly. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Is it possible to say how many of these aircraft losses were down to pilot navigation error or technical error? And how many just absolutely just the luck of the of the draw? I don't know that one could have any idea of that. On the last of the big hamburger operations, the weather was very, very bad. There were storms all over northern Europe and uh, we were icing up quite badly. And I'm sure that night some losses were due to bad weather. But most frequently, I think they were due to enemy action. But but how vulnerable were you to that enemy action? I mean, would a really veteran crew, veteran pilot, be able to sort of reduce the exposure to the enemy if they, if they really knew what they were doing? I don't think he would, not over the target. I mean, one of our flight commanders, in fact, he was master of ceremonies, as he was called, over Berlin in one of our last, and a very, very experienced chap. But he was shot down on, I think it was our penultimate operation over Berlin. He lost, the aircraft blew up and he lost a, an arm and was repatriated through Switzerland under this exchange of injured military personnel scheme. And when I came back from Italy, I spent a couple of days at Pathfinder headquarters catching up with things and he was there as a, an air staff officer and we, we went out and had a drink together and uh, had a chat about life on the squadron. So any any aircraft, any crew were vulnerable to being shot down yeah, by enemy action? Probably 
people were most vulnerable in their first four or five trips, five or six trips. A lot of crews came, didn't last very long, but once they lasted five or six trips. So, yes, obviously experience helped, but it didn't help if you got to direct it on the aircraft, of course. So you've, you've dropped your bombs, you're heading back to the... You're listening to some music over the North Sea. A, a fairly good feeling? Oh, yes, yeah. Mm. Nice cup of coffee and sandwich, a bar of chocolate, that sort of thing. Yeah, oh, yes. Uh, you've probably survived another one. And then touching down in Lincolnshire must have felt even better. Oh, yes, yeah, yes. Another anecdote, let me tell you. One day we were... We couldn't do an air test first thing in the morning, as one normally did, because the ground crew were doing something to our aircraft. And by the time the aircraft was ready, all the WAFs who drew the, drove the wagons out to dispersal had disappeared for their lunch. And so the flight commander was there, and we said to him, well, there's no transport about, assuming he might ring up MT and, and get some transport. But he said, oh, my van's over there. I shan't be an idiot for an hour. I'd take my van. And Jimmy, our 19-year-old pilot, said to him, I can't drive. And um, uh, the flight commander turned to me and said, uh, make you realise, doesn't it, how long the war's been on. Here's this chap who's done 40-odd operations in a Lancaster and can't drive a car. <laughs> 19 years old. Mm. And, in fact, he, was, he didn't finish after two tours. There was no commitment to do anything further, but he didn't want to go and be an instructor. So he stayed on the squadron. And he was shot down on his 57th operation over Berlin. And uh, sad, really, that he'd done so many. Yes, yes. Uh, the whole crew were on the uh, Ronnie Mead Memorial, you know, the memorial for people with no known grave. Uh, they never found the identity disks. He used to come home on leave with me occasionally, and my mother treated him like a second son, and she kept in touch with Jimmy's mother until... They both died, and in fact, we're still in touch with one of his brothers and his sister-in-law, and, and they have stayed here with us, and we've stayed with them in Toronto. What about those losses? I mean, you're, every time I talk to your generation, you're so so res resilient. Uh, it must have been did, landing, hitting the ground. Did, did you ask each other immediately, right, who didn't come back last night? Not immediately, no. You, you probably didn't find out till the next morning because... Uh, you uh, got rid of your parachute and your harness and so on, went and had eggs and bacon and went off to uh, bed till... Well, most of the squadron, most of the crew used to sleep through till midday after an operation, but I can honestly say I never missed breakfast. <laughs> I was just probably so hungry that uh, I, I wouldn't say I was the first in the mess to breakfast, but I'd get up about 8 o'clock and have a shower, always have a shower because heavy bombers were fairly dirty things and get into the mess for breakfast about nine o'clock, just before nine o'clock when breakfast finished, and then go and have a look at the results of the, the photographs were published, have a look at the photographs and find out how many crews had been lost. And What happened when a crew that you knew, friends of yours, were lost? I mean, did, did you grieve or was it just, did you accept it? I think you accepted it, yes. Um, I remember the first loss was a sergeant, uh, after I joined the squadron, we, most of the sergeants, lived in a, a little plantation off the road between uh, Woodhorse Bar and Coningsby, Nissen Huts there, uh, and at the end of the lane there was a searchlight post. Uh, there were three all round the airfield and for airfield defence and also they would form a cone over the airfield when we were coming back at night. Uh, and this Canadian sergeant had got 
quite friendly with these gunners, Royal Artillery people, manning the searchlight posts. And they were very upset indeed when he went missing after a trip to Essen. Probably more upset than the rest of us on the squadron. But, uh, uh, well, people, there was a war on and people did get lost, you know. Did you think you were going to live? I didn't really think I would survive two tours of operations, but uh, I was very lucky. Did that not make you a bit upset, thinking, God, oh, I probably won't have kids, not going to get to marry anyone, not going to see the world? Well, I didn't think of it at the time, really. I, you just hoped you'd survive another operation, and if you did, it was a bonus. That's a nice way to live, I suppose. You're always pleasantly surprised to see another day. Yes, oh, yeah, yes. Another day was always a good day. Do you look back on that time with fondness? Yes, I do, really. Um, and it was the most interesting period of my life. I, I had a year in Florida. I had a year in the Middle East. Uh, not, I wouldn't say with fondness, but uh, as the most exciting and interesting period of my life, certainly. And what about now with, the, with people arguing about how valuable your contribution to the war was? How does that make you feel? Do, do you, when people now talk about the civilian casualties on the ground, the destruction of the, the cities of Europe, how, how do you respond to those sort of criticisms and arguments? Well, after the fall of France, the bomber war was the only way we could attack Germany. There was no other way until the invasion. I think probably there were times when Butch Harris bombed cities rather than targets, but some of the cities in this country had been pretty badly bombed as well. And revenge isn't a very praiseworthy motive, but one didn't worry too much about what was happening on the ground. Did that motivate you? you, When you were dropping bombs, do you think of Coventry and Southampton and London, Liverpool? No, not really. No, that was all in the past. By that time, the Germans weren't able to attack England. And, of course, when while I was in Italy, the V2 attack started. Fortunately, about three months later than they might otherwise have done as a result of the Pienemander raid, because if they'd been three months earlier, they'd have been exactly at the same time as the invasion. Invasion was June the 6th and the first V2 was September the 8th. Go back three months and if they'd have been landing at the time of the invasion, one hesitates to think what would happen. Thank you very much indeed. That was lovely. Well, sorry about my throat. I was talking too much. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
And before you go, remember, as a Warfare listener, you get a special discount at History Hit. Subscribers get access to blissfully, uninterrupted, ad-free podcasts and thousands of hours of history documentaries. You've got everything from the American Revolution to my own documentaries like Traces of War, Weapons of War and 24 Hours in Normandy, where I follow in the footsteps of the Green Howards on D-Day from their beach landings to being awarded the Victoria Cross and all the way through their first day where they made it seven miles inland, further than any other British or American unit. So head over to historyhit.com forward slash subscribe or follow the link in the show notes and use the code WARFARE to get 50% off your next three months. That's the code WARFARE to get 50% off. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free episodes within the app. So give it a go. I know you're gonna love it.